Did you want to stop, obviously? You know the drill. You've, mm-hmm. you've done all this before, Barry. <laughs> Why won't we stop? And welcome to the Joust. My name is Nagy. I'm here as always with my co-host Liam McNeil, but we're joined by a very special guest for the second time, our first ever return guest. Uh, we're very happy to have uh, Knights Aficionado and uh, big fan of the show, big fan of the show, big, big <laughs> friends of the show, I should say, but also fan of the show, I'm hoping, Barry Tui. Hello, boys. <laughs> welcome back, Baz. Great Good to be back. Good to have you, you've, Barry. You've obviously had a few knockbacks from blokes that have been on the floor, have you? Plenty. No, 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 no. We wouldn't. <laughs> We wouldn't do first return guests. We're very happy to have you back, Baz, and and for our final episode of the season, which is a, uh, you know, it's a bit of a sad moment, but it's also uh, exciting. It's a bit of a reflective for the whole season on uh, how we went, what went wrong, and also what went right. And there was a fair bit of that as well. Liam, we'll kick straight off with uh, the the game uh, for the final game for the season against the Dragons. Now it didn't go the way we'd hoped with a twenty four fourteen. Uh, lost to the Dragons at home, our last home game for Old Boys Day. You were at the game, Liam. I was, Nagy. I was at the game. It was a wonderful atmosphere. The place was absolutely packed. I've got to actually give a fair bit of credit to the Dragon supporters. There seems to be a lot of Dragon supporters absolutely everywhere. And although I despised them by the end of the afternoon, they really, they were, they were good fans to have. They were loud. They were singing. They were, you know, showing their colours, big flags everywhere. I thought they really made that last round atmosphere what it was for Old Boys Day. And yeah, shame we couldn't get the result, but oh well. It was. Old Boys Day is often the best game of the season. Now, I don't think it was the best game on the field. Uh, Baz, Baz, how did you find the the atmosphere in and around uh, McDonald's Jones? Oh, you get 24,000, 25,000 there. It's always a great atmosphere, obviously. And as you said, Saints have got a lot of support wherever you go. So it was always going to be a big crowd. But uh, the game obviously probably didn't live up to the, uh, the hype of the crowd. Unfortunately, I've always thought playing the Dragons. You know, they've got such they've got a pretty good record against us. I know we managed to get a win last year against them at home, but seventeen you know, out of twenty, I think the record oh, is. Oh really? Oh right. Since they became the joint venture, seventeen. They've won out of twenty. Well, that's quite the record against us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's sort of you know, and it's sort of you know, in in the Dragons emblem, there's a shadow of of a knight. And it's always a little bit like the Knights are living in the Dragon's Shadow. But there is a bit of a kinship there, I always think, when we play the Dragon's. Do you think they're playing the long con? When they designed the logo, they thought, purely, we're going to smash the Knights 17 times out of the next 20. Let's put them in the... In the background, Nagy? They went in confident, I think, yeah. and uh, it seems to be paying off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah confidence <laughs> pays, I guess. Unfortunately, the, to blow your theory away there, the Dragon's <laughs> emblem was created a hell of a lot before the That's Knights a good came point. into play. So. <laughs> good point. Yeah, it's, it's an important point to bring up. but I uh, guess, yeah, 1908, they wouldn't have designed... Oh, what's a rebel? You can't really have yeah. a dragon slaying a Newcastle rebel. That's a bit no. hard to put on paper. So <laughs> Or a mariner. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I digress. So, so in 2014, uh, you know, obviously... See, what went right for the game? There was a little bit in there. The game was a bit closer than the score. Uh, it was a very strange game. A lot went right for the Knights. Unlike we've seen most of the year, we actually came out on top in a number of statistical categories. We ran more than the Dragons, 1,591 metres to 1,519 metres. As usual, our stats brought to us by our very, very own fourth jouster. Yeah, the fourth jouster. 
the Hebrew hammer. The uh, Hebrew hammer. We <laughs> made more post-contact meters. We had more offloads, 17 to 7. We less penalties, 6 to 7. 56% possession and all starting forwards ran for 100 plus meters. All points to a victory, except <laughs> in the case of the Knights, it gained us a loss. So yeah. <laughs> I was a bit perplexed. Everything seemed to go right, but it was just the errors that the Knights made were in crucial well, not in crucial positions. They just the dragons capitalized on them so much. It just seemed like every time the knights made an error, the dragons pounced and either scored that play or the following play. Baz, so how yeah. did you see the game? Where did the knights lose it? I think the knights lost it by the players that were sitting on the bench or not on the bench on the side of the fence. Mm. Actually, there was about uh, nine or ten of them that were sitting there. That um, you know, four or five of them would have made a, a hell of a difference to the game. Obviously, I think the biggest stat that I saw in the game was that um, there were the Dragons made 42 tackles in their own 20-metre area <laughs> and, and gave up only three tries. Yeah. So that's an indication that, as you mentioned, the Knights had all the ball, but they couldn't do enough with it. And it's sort of been, especially uh, coming towards this back third of the season, even though we welcomed Pierce back, but struggling to keep Watson on the field. That uh, was one of the players on the sideline. And, and Ponger as well. Uh, and Fitzgibbon also. I mean, they're a couple yeah. of players right on the line, like you mentioned. They're, they're the ones who are breaking through, scoring those tries. And yep. It just seems like it was a, a fairly accurate summary of the season. You know, the Knights tried really hard, worked their asses off, but at the end just didn't have the didn't have the cattle really. You know, the, the injuries have just been horrifying. And I'm going to touch on that more in the news, Barry, with an article you wrote a few weeks ago about the Knights injury curse. But it, it just felt like, you know, there was a lot of effort the execution was a bit off, but we just didn't have the guys for it. Yeah, held them to no tries at half time. I thought was an excellent effort. Mm. I thought that was good, but that's almost been the nights for the last ten years. Is good, ha- good first half performances, and then sort of uh, you know it's like the it's like they go into the sheds, and we you know we talk about how Brownie gives out Xanax at half time and <laughs> uh, reads them all a bedtime story. But no, really, it's it seems to be that uh, that the other teams almost wake up and think, oh, how can we be you know this far behind to a team that's been on the bottom for so many years and. Sort Sort of, you know, find their structure again, and and they seem to do that. Nina McDonald, especially for when he woke up, it just seemed to like, uh, you know, he, he's he's breaking tackles like it was like it was nothing. And as soon as uh, he had that big breakaway, it seemed like, oh well, they've realised how to how to beat us. But we were unlucky with a few calls there as well. I there thought. was a few calls I think that were, mm, yeah, again, nothing that I feel like lost us the game, as has kind of been the theme of. This year in the... No, no, one, no, no one moment. No one saying. moment, I don't think. There was a, there was a funny one on uh, another Rugby League podcast I listened to that, where they indicated that the Cogger try... Or, sorry, the disallowed try from uh, Mitch, Barnett Mitch Barnett late in the game, yeah. which would have put us ahead. Uh, certain people are thinking that that moment may have conjured the Dragons' turnaround, perhaps. The fact that they then went on to win the game. Yeah. If they build up ahead of steam in the finals, that call could be the one where people say, that's where the Dragons turned it around. So call that could prove fortuitous to the Dragons. Just shame it went against us. Went against us. Yeah. Should, have, should have been a try, guys. Should have I been a thought try. so too. It did, it, the referee ruled no try, but he ruled no try because he was told that one of the Knights players was offside. And that's true. That one of the Knights players was offside, but he was ruled to be uh, passive. In other words, he didn't figure in the play, even though he was offside. And then when you got down to looking at the cogger, the, you know, the, with the ball there where it came off their fullback, and whether it touched Cogger's arm or it didn't touch his arm, if the referee rules a try, then he would have allowed it. No oh, bugger that. We should have won that game. That call <laughs> lost us that game, man. Thank you, Barry. So, was... pretty crucial moment in the game. But in saying all that, guys, you're being very generous to the Knights because I thought they were pretty poor and I thought St. George were only marginally better. And if they don't play a hell of a lot better than that against the Broncos up there on Sunday, they will get flogged.
which seems such a, a such a way for the Dragons to end a season that they have done the last four or five years. They just seem to end their seasons with a whimper. And I came in so confident. I was, you know, the Dragons are at their classic end of season fade off. They've done it the last four or five years. I think last year it was them playing the Bulldogs in the last round to make the semis and get knocked out. Instead, yeah, I thought we had this one. Well, we didn't have enough attacking artillery out there. That was the drama. And as I mentioned, <coughs> the players that were weren't playing, that was the key. We we certainly were missing something. And and uh, it was scrappy all over, as, as you said. Lots of errors. Uh, Liam, who was your hats off for this week? Who you thought you, who, who stood up amongst the bunch for the night? My hats off goes to Big Dan Safidi. Now, he's had probably not the year we expected of Dan, having had such a great year last year. But with his injury in the off-season... Um, he didn't really get a full preseason. Came in a bit underdone by the looks of things, but he really stood up. He ran for 229 meters, 83 post-contact meters. He had three tackle busts, three offloads, and 20 tackles for only one miss. I thought he really pulled that forward pack ahead. Yeah. Um. Again, it's yeah, it's just so weird to see a forward pack running numbers like that <laughs> and still losing the game. It's bizarre. Yeah, having over 200 running meters is huge, obviously, uh, uh, for any forward, especially Dan Safidi, and you know, especially towards this back end of the season. I think he's been uh, playing quite well, and he's definitely shown us the uh, shown us the. Um, sorry, there's something going on outside. <laughs> uh, especially as uh, a spearhead forward that he uh, and you know he, he said leading up to the game, what about you, Baz? That he said he's going to really stand up and give us something special, uh, but. Uh, uh, but he, he showed that he showed that he. Uh, but too bad we didn't have another one of him. Too bad his brother wasn't there. Uh, mm. He's he's very clone himself, and uh, to to possibly uh, to have you know two of them in there. But for me, my hats off uh, has been someone I've been pretty critical of the last few weeks is uh, Jamie Bura. Um, and I thought uh, I was always really critical of him with his running meters off the bench. I thought he wasn't providing any impact. Uh, someone coming in uh, didn't offer much. But uh, starting in the back row, I think he ran for 127, and uh, you know he showed him plenty of involvement. Uh, and I thought it was just a really good effort from Jamie. Uh, Baz, do you have anyone that stood up for you? Oh, Mitchell Pierce was the bloke that I thought stood up. I, I'm not sure of his stats. I knew he, he he ran for over 100 meters, which is un- yeah, ran for 141. I think he got tackled 13 times in the game, and that was an indication that he probably didn't think he had the support out there to try and get the job done, so he tried to get it done himself, but I thought he was outstanding. His kicking game was excellent. Yeah, His first was. time Kick- ever kicked for over yeah. 600 meters in a losing team. Yeah, He's- it was a great kicking game, no risk in the world. I mean, St. George made mention of his kick- kicking game afterwards, so... Yeah, he's his boot has kind of. He's been outstanding. He's been, he, I yeah. think he's probably had one or two games where I, you could be critical of him, and the rest were were fantastic. And obviously, there's that three months that he missed that's um, pretty telling in the wash up. And just the effort that he puts in every game. He's yep. one of the hardest. I suppose there's no better word than try. You know, he's one of the the hardest tries in the NRL from what you see of him on the field. So. He, he backs himself with confidence, and I think you know he's a real confidence player. And he was playing, yeah, with a lot of enthusiasm, running the ball a lot. And I think, as you said, he probably didn't think he had uh, what he needed on his outside and, and try to do it himself. And he's a great running half too. Um, and I think we saw glimpses of that, uh, you know, against Parramatta running, you know, lots of confident running under the, under the, the post. And uh, in that Tigers game before he got injured, I think he was sort of finding his running game as well. And um, yeah, look, I think it, it's really good to see Pierce finishing well, I think, at the end of the season as well, because I think, um, you know, showing he, he really wants this. It wasn't something that he thinks, oh, well, this is, I'm playing for a team that the finals aren't in contention. I'm already thinking about a long recovery over the over the offseason as, you know, approaching as a 30-year-old, I think he is now. So it shows he's still got plenty to give. Um, anyone that didn't, uh, you know? Oh, I've got one last little, yeah, go maybe on. not a hats off, but uh, we, we've been critical of this player over the past <coughs> few months, but... <laughs> I think the last three games have probably been his best for the Knights. Kenneth, 
Albert Seo. Kenny Can <laughs> kickoffs. Ran for 146 metres, two tries, two tackle busts, and an offload. Again, like I mentioned, we've been critical of Kenny mm. uh, over the last year and a half we've been doing this podcast, but I think he's really shown some improvement that I I wasn't sure he had in him over the last few weeks. And I'm, I'm proud of Kenny. He's <laughs> never going to be the best winger in the world. Yeah. You know, he's not going to make any test squads, but I think as a good depth winger over the next few years with the, the cattle we've got coming in out wide. Well, he's off contract, isn't he, Baz? I th- believe he is. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> do you think we're going to uh, retain Kenny? Well, I hope they do, but um, he's on the borderline, put it that way. Mm. I think there's a 30-man squad, and I'd, I would imagine he's right on the edge. It's interesting, yeah. But, I think he's def- but he, w- he was the season's top try scorer for the club, and he's the That's top true. point scorer for the club. And if you'd have said that before the start of the season, you would have got some money on, you know, a decent bet there, I reckon. <laughs> yeah. well, he didn't really come in until about round seven or eight or, uh, you know, around that time when um, the... Uh, Tau, well, uh, well, after no, Tau Tau, earlier, earlier, when Tau Tau did his name, round mm. four, there you go. Yeah. So, you know, it's he, he started, you know, got a bit of a false start. Could have got a few more tries in there. He's a good finisher. He's a good finisher. You know, he's not that electric winger that I think... I think the standard of winger we've all brought up to think that uh, they've got to do more and be that game breaker. But, um, you know, for a, for a player that... When everything's going right and you just need to uh, beat that last defender and go over the line, he finds it quite he's often. Big, he's got the best out of himself this year, I reckon, but he, I would give him this award, the worst kicker offer in the comp. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes yeah. Hence Kenny Kickoffs. Kenny Kickoffs. <laughs> was, uh, was, yeah, uh, yeah, it's a name made in jest. But also, he's, he's a hard worker. He, um, he's shown over the last few games, he's been working really well out of yardage to get the Knights on the front foot. Yeah. And yeah, I've seen some improvement from Kenny that... I wasn't sure I would, so I thought I'd give him a bit of an honorary hats off to round it out. Anyone for a hats back on, Liam, that you thought yes. maybe could have... Yes, and this hurts me to say, because we love the bloke here at the Joust, but yeah. Mitch Barnett, he had, uh, he had two errors, two penalties, five missed tackles. Again, you know, he ran hard, he gave his all, but it was just those errors that he still has in his game seemed to be multiplied against the Dragons, which was a shame. I'll have to agree, Ellen, because I think he was playing, you know, he put so much into that game, obviously a lot of running metres, and he found himself just at those spots where there was errors. He might have been playing under fatigue, uh, and he was just, give, you know, he was trying his guts out, but, um, you know, he, he was he because he was there so often uh, the mis- around the mistakes, you, you kept seeing him. Um, and, you know, I'll have to agree with Mitch Barnett. Anyone for you, Baz? Yeah, you look... I'm not going to go past Barney. <laughs> I mean, he put put down the worst clearing kick or whatever it was that uh, we've ever seen Oof. in the first half that led to a try that wasn't a try because thankfully for Barney that one of their guys was offside. Yep. And then um, the biggest error he made, I thought, was obviously when he didn't pass to uh, would have been SKD, I think, on the, on the wing there in the second half. Overlap. All he had to do was catch and pass. And then Pereira made that yeah, beautiful Pereira came tackle. In, but he made the beautiful tackle because Barney hesitated slightly and uh, didn't pass. SKD scores, and, and the Knights may go on and win it from there. But hey, look, that's, that's one of those uh, <laughs> one of those things, I guess. Yeah, mm. upsetting to see. Look, and it wasn't, uh, but there were some really good things as far as that game. Obviously, you know, we're not you not making the finals coming into that side, uh, coming into that uh, that game. But still, the crowd coming out well, it was 20, 25,000, as, as Baz was saying before. Uh, and you know, for a last game, I know a lot of them were Dragon supporters, but for a last game to really lift the, you know, we started with a big crowd, uh, and we finished with a big crowd, and I think that says a lot. Uh, even uh, this last uh, last third of the season's been pretty patchy. Uh, patchy's probably you know being pretty generous as well. It's been you know there's been some pretty uh, ordinary performances, and a lot of them being away as well. So to show that the, there's still plenty of support there for the Knights. And a lot of uh, celebration that we're not coming last. <laughs> yeah, and I was going to save this for the news, but figures have been released and the Knights had the second highest 
NRL average crowd of 18,974 behind the Brisbane Broncos, which is a 21.48% increase from 2017's average crowd of 15,619. Also, an interesting figure showed that if we adjusted Newcastle's population to that of Brisbane, our average crowd would be (laughs) 63,000 per week. Yeah. yeah. I thought that was pretty good. You've been on Twitter this week. I have been, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm rarely off it, Barry. Very rarely. (laughs) I don't have much else in my life, Barry. (laughs) We have have so much to get through. I think we're going to start with the news. Start with the news. It's a, it's a big news. Big so news section. A big news. I bet you've missed this show in the, in the 20 weeks that you haven't been on Burst. But, uh, intro, intro goes longer than news, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. Oh, not this week. Yeah. yeah, no, we've got a big one this week. Now, Barry, first one I want to say is uh, a reporting from your colleague, Robert Dillon. Robert Dillon that t- tells us that TPJ from the Brisbane Broncos has had the butter chicken at Nathan Brown's house. He's come down. He's had the dinner. He's been shown the facilities. What do we think, guys? I'm in love with it. I'd really love to see him at the club. Baz, what do you think? <laughs> oh, well, obviously, he's a great player, outstanding player, and he's got the future ahead of him, obviously. Of course he has. Um, but whether they get him or not, um, look, I, I, I'd, be, I'd be more... Uh, I'd be surprised if they get him for next year, but they may get him the year after. Um, but okay, yeah. they're not out of the picture. Um, he's he's not unsigned, and... Uh, Brisbane are paying a lot of money for a lot of players up there, so someone's going to have to miss out. So Corey Oates off off contract, and uh, I think Brisbane want to keep him, so he'll cost him a fair bit more, and they've got some big names up there on a lot of money. So we'll wait and see how it goes. The Knights, the Knights will come up with an offer there that will be very, very tempting, I would imagine. That's good to hear. That's uh, Obviously, with uh, the two Broncos scalpings for this year, with uh, Tau Tau and uh, Herman SASA, we went for the double names with both, uh, mm. and that seemed to work, except for Tau Tau only managed three games. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, so to say that there are some Broncos players that he's played with before at the club, it could be a bit of a drawing card as well. But I'm, I'm not confident, Liam. I'm not confident only because uh, how often we've been chasing a prop uh, from and that we've been excited about. And then... Uh, you know, it was James Graham. It was uh, it was Matt Scott, uh, Jared Wallace, Jared Wallace. There's you know, it feels like this is just the prop story that we just can't land. And I don't know, maybe or yeah. or we've missed those for a reason. Okay, oh yeah, that's, uh, that's what also, they might be saying. That's okay, the this is what we need Barry on every week. We're, <laughs> we're not very smart, Barry. <laughs> Basically, my research consists of going through Twitter, as you've just mentioned. That's yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, you've picked him, picked him to a T. Uh, but the worrying thing about that is looking at the Brisbane roster. Yeah. Is once you take TPJ out, you look at the other young forwards they've got in and Sua, Offerhangawi, Payne Haas. I've forgotten all the other ones, but Fafita. the young Fafita, yeah, that yeah. Andre Savelio guy who. I think played one game and then was out injured. Yeah. They've got a hell of a good forward pack. Lots, so lots of vowels in lots those of vowels. Yeah. They could afford to release him, you'd think, given what they've got moving forward. But would you want to still? And I know a big part of it was him, him staying in Brisbane to play under Wayne. And now you've got the the issues with Wayne and whether or not he'll be coaching there in twenty twenty. And who knows? Well, Look, he, he's been down to the Roosters. He's obviously looking around. Oh, he God hasn't damn it, he's going to He hasn't got a manager at the moment. Or he has got a manager, but he's um, waiting t- for that contract to finish up with the manager, which won't finish up until November, which means he won't make a decision before then. Okay. Um, so it's all to play out. But the, the line of thought is that the Broncos will run out of money 
eventually. They've they've already re-signed Hass. They've already re-signed the Sewer, the younger some of the younger guys. They've got blokes like obviously Boyd, Milford, uh, Bird, uh, on massive money. So the money's got to run out somewhere. So mm. they're trying to offload a couple. They're trying to offload Alex Glenn. They're trying to offload Jordan Kahu. Um, but no one's going after those guys. So, look, um, the Knights aren't out of it for next season, but I think the, the general consensus among the officials at the club is that we're still a chance for next year, but more likely maybe 2020 to bring him back home to an area that he knows and some players that he's very close to. As in Sione, I think, as well. Yeah, yeah, Sione's yeah. young fella's godfather i believe oh wow okay oh, wow yeah, that's yeah it's very interesting if not i'm glad <coughs> you mentioned alex glenn coming off contract because he'd be a great signing just quietly i know he's had his injury troubles and well this year's been horrible horrible for alex yeah, he's, not, he's yeah. not a position that they're looking at so they're not ah. looking at him well we have got killer back road well that's the only so thing that's well, good yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um further news signings matt frawley looking to finalize a deal with the knights coming from the canterbury bulldogs depth halfback signing don't think it'll be too Widely touted in the media, not a real marquee signing. Now I'm a fan of Matt Frawley. Uh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what do you think? I didn't know Matt Frawley had fans. <laughs> yeah, well, no. Well, I just like it because he's been given a few opportunities with the Bulldogs, and there's not every game that he, you know, he takes, but he has these moments of brilliance. And I think uh, uh, he definitely he, he knows he's competing for his spot. He's never got comfortable in that Bulldog spot, um, and I feel like he's used to that sort of gets a first grade uh, opportunity and he knows he's only got a short window and he'll, he'll go for it. But he's got 30 games experience as well. Um, and I don't. I feel like he offers more than Cogger does. He has a bit more of a rounded game. And um, But, uh, you know, uh, knowing that Brock Lamb and Cogger are both leaving, uh, we need someone, uh, at least one, one person. So I think Frawley uh, could fit that build. Do you, what do you think? Now, you, you've been watching the Bulldogs and, and Frawley more than me because I haven't seen too many moments of brilliance from him. But, look, I agreed to a certain extent with you. He's a guy that can come in if Mitchell Pearce got hurt, for example, and, and probably run the show a little bit more than what we've had, um, which is probably what they need. But he's not their number one target, I can tell you that. Yeah, Matt, Matt Frawley might be saying that he's um, you know, closing in on a deal, but that's... Probably not quite correct. But did I figure okay. every player manager would be telling their player, "Oh yeah, tell the press he's just about signed. Yeah, well, tell him it's for half a million too." <laughs> he probably shouldn't have said what he said, to be honest. But um, um, yeah. it, that's not to say that he won't come because they're after two. They'll br they'll bring two in. They'll replace both Lamb and Cogger, so he might be the second one. But they're they're looking at another one who's more. Uh, Number one. Okay, mm. interesting there. Watch well, to this space. Also, he's much younger than I thought, Matt Frawley. He's 23. 23. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He looks older. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he's seen a lot. He's a 40-20. He's, he's seen a lot of winters. Um, <laughs> the 40-20 of a man who is 20, but he looks about 40. He has. Uh, but yeah. Now, this one's just a little bit of a throwaway news item that I want to throw in because I'm being very positive about the NRL these days. Yeah. They're forecasting a $50 million plus surplus and eight clubs to break even. So go the NRL. That's good. The NRL is going to survive another year. But this is the big one that's broken today. Yeah. Now, are we seeing the end of Mad Monday? I believe, Elliot, we've got uh, got a picture we can put up there of yeah. tomorrow's front page. Oh, wait. That's today. Tuesday. That's, that's today. today. That's today. Tuesday? Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. Today's front page of the newspaper, obviously uh, quoting the famous song from the Baja Men, <laughs> yeah. of the Bulldogs having a nice, quiet afternoon in with Mad Monday drinks. Now... This has torn the rugby league world asunder. And what I've seen from the fans is that everyone hates the media. 
now. <laughs> it, it, the, the narrative has turned. What's changed? Yeah, the narrative's <laughs> turned. Previously, these stories came out and everyone was, oh, well, think about the children. What are we doing? And now the narrative's turned to, well... They seem to be having a private function in a roped-off area at the pub. They got the kid <laughs> off, and well, that now that you've obviously been on Twitter as well, because yes. on uh, on the radio, it's been very much the other way. It's been very much uh, they've been acting up, and how could they do this oh. again, and what whatever the case might be. Now, Baz, um, obviously with your long experience with the Daily Telegraph, is mm. this uh, this is like they wait till Mad Monday and think, oh well, this is this is what we do. We we snap some photos and we we well, throw it up. Is this? I, I guess I guess if you have got blokes in the <laughs> in the nun, yeah, in, in the nude in the. <laughs> Public hotel, you're yeah. probably going to snap some photos and put it in the media. I don't think I don't think any newspaper, if they'd have got those fa- uh, photos, wouldn't have uh, run them. Put yeah, it that sh- way. sure, sure. It's a Look, um, Mad Monday is sort of not not like it used to be, obviously, but you don't, um, you just don't do that anymore. No. Yeah. This, the, this day and age, you you have a private function and let the players do what they want to do and get up to what they want to do, but don't let the public in on it. And I mean, you talk about that being in a a roped area. Was it? I didn't read much. <laughs> I, I think the photo of, of uh, what's his name, the second row. Adam Elliott. Yeah, Elliot, yeah. Was, was out in the balcony. Oh. From the balcony. So, And look, they were in a roped area, but they were still in a public hotel. So I just, I don't get that. I, I, I look at the Bulldogs officials there who were there, mind you, and think to myself, well, what's going on there? Surely you've got a little bit of smarts about you not to uh, do it in public. That's it. There's so much happening around NRL clubs and so many people on the stuff. Surely they'd have a, a wrangler. Well, they'd the Knights, for example. Let's let's have a look. The Knights had Mad Monday, right? They had they had theirs at the Cambridge Hotel, um, but they had the Cambridge Hotel them to themselves, and they blacked out the windows so they could do whatever they wanted in there with security guards. They had a couple of security as well. Um, do whatever they wanted in there and no one's the wiser and no one gets hurt and no photos, no nothing. You give, so you say, yeah, it's giving the, uh, the the press and the public an opportunity to, to have that glimpse in which, yeah. they, which they probably you know, really shouldn't be privy privy to. Is it? But the Bulldogs six years ago also, uh, I think they had a uh, a Mad Mondays that they had to apologise to some uh, some journalists, some female that journalists. That was the Mad Monday at Belmore Sports Ground. It was yeah. one of the last Mad Mondays at the, the stadium before most clubs went around to Banning, which we were discussing before the show. Um, and that seemed to signal the end of Mad Mondays at the at the stadiums, which kind of always felt like the perfect safe haven. Like, well, look, I, I can remember a, a Mad Monday at it. It would have been probably Marathon Stadium then, and it wouldn't have... Um, I don't know whether it was locked up as well as it is today, but they were in the actual stadium, and, and it was back in the old days when you all you wanted was a photo of someone to put in the paper. <laughs> so there was... Photographers trying to jump fences. And Which all side sorts were you on? Were you on the outside <laughs> or were you inside with? I wasn't in- <laughs> oh, look, back in the old days, we were yeah. invited to Mad Monday and and saw some things. You probably, you know, as long as we didn't, they were all off the record back in those days. <laughs> <laughs> but these days, uh, you you try to avoid them if you can. Well, they're only going to be trouble. There's not going to, you know, if there's a Mad Monday that I suppose that you know everyone sort of calls it quits by. 3 p.m. and goes home and you know what I mean it just seems mm. like they, they haven't gone hard enough seems to be like that but it's a mad Monday right through you, you can't I don't think you can just cancel it at the top as well because you know amateur footballers uh, clubs do mad Mondays all the time you know you can feel it you can see it around the around the town when you know cricket yep. clubs and uh, and you know whether it be uh, rugby union or, yeah, yeah yeah everyone's done so you can't yeah. just say that if you're at the top you can't do it because they're getting paid more I guess if anything it, when you have 
more money, you've got more opportunity to make a bit of a, you know, have have a bigger party. Let's just say That's that. That's it. I've seen and done some things at number two sports ground uh, <laughs> at the end of a footy season that uh, I wouldn't like being in the paper either. You went missing for two days, I remember. Yes, <laughs> I did actually. Yeah, but I turned up, but I'm okay. So, yeah. yeah. But it's an interesting one. You know, where, where do you stop it? Trent Barrett um, came out through the week and said, we won't be having a mad Monday. And his players took it upon themselves to get together and, you know, have a good afternoon. It's the end of a season. It, it, I guess it's about striking the balance between you're a professional, you need to act like it, but you're still a young bloke playing footy, have some fun. Where do you find the balance? Well, you find the balance mm. in, a, in a place that's secluded from the public. Mm. Maybe a pair of pants. <laughs> and, yeah. and They're restrictive. Basically, you can get up to what you want to get up to can't yeah. you? without offending anybody else. There you go. There's I, a money spinner. I'm going to open a Mad Monday's only venue. Yeah, I had to clean Mate. up a Mad Monday from the Gold Coast Suns once when I was in, working <laughs> the Gold Coast because I had it at the venue there. And then, but they did the same thing. They they closed. We closed the venue to everyone, and then uh, then just let them run. Right. A lot of broken glass though, mm. uh, and they were all wearing no shoes. Uh, so <laughs> dangerous. It seems very dangerous. What else? But what I was going to say about the Trent Barrett cancelling the Mad Mondays. Like, how much are the Bandy players missing out on? They're going to get a dozen clean skins, two cartons of whatever <laughs> Aldi's got on special for yeah. beer that week. Yeah. Maybe a Subway catering platter this so is the same I don't think the Manly fans missed out same club Manly. that can't afford chairs of course yeah. so yeah no, it's, uh, it's well with the Aldi beer the Aldi beer <laughs> yeah. the cheapest of the. Of and the not much else in the news I do have another good news story uh, Gavin Cooper that's it I was about to say Matt Cooper but he retired a decade ago Gavin Cooper broke a 100 year old record in the game against the Titans Frank Burgess record of not eight consecutive tries in eight consecutive games Gavin Cooper scored nine in nine which is a phenomenal record to beat. He's beaten a future immortal, and I think that go- deserves some recognition, especially in his last game with his old mate JT. I think that's a perfect way to end JT's career, helping his you know good mate get this amazing record. And oh, now I really want to talk about JT's retirement. <laughs> well, yeah, look, just just quickly on JT's retirement. I think that's what the you know the NRL. I think everyone did that really well. I think mm. you know leading mm. into his end, um, you know recognizing that it was going to be the last time he plays, whether it be at this stadium or against this team. And I think every team had a had a nice sort of tribute to him, Knights included as well. When we went up, up went up there to Townsville. Uh, just with a shake of the hands, exchange of a jersey, I think it was with Mitchell Pierce. Yep. Uh, yeah, Pierce gave him the indigenous jersey yep. that Mitchell Pierce wore, I believe. And yeah. I think that's uh, that, that, that was something that the NRL, you know, they we only ever talk about quite often when the NRL is not doing things that we all agree with. But I think that one leading into the last month of JT's career, who is going to be remembered as one of the greats, uh, and, you know, something that you know, someone like Joey never had because because you know retiring mid season, very early in the season, I think around three. In 2007. Um, I still have nightmares about it. <laughs> uh, no, but, uh, you know, something we never got with Joey, but, you know, to have the opportunity, even though they finished at the bottom of the ladder, they didn't have that finals run that everyone, I think, thought they would at the beginning of the season, uh, or at least a taste of the finals. But, yeah, so uh, it was nice to see. Got an Australian tour coming up too, you know, JT. He's going around Australia. Oh, the talking speaking. tour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, interesting. Mm. Not coming to Newcastle, is that correct? Is that- <laughs> well, yeah, he's not. Yeah, oh. he's not, but his uh, promoter did ring oh, a couple of weeks back after I wrote something and wasn't too happy that I wrote it, but <laughs> he uh, wanted to know whether if he did decide to come to Newcastle, whether it would get support. So I'm not oh. sure where it's at at the moment. Okay. Well, I think given... Well, would you would you get... Um, uh, you'd have to have it probably at the Civic Theatre. Would you get the Civic Theatre booked out for JT, you reckon? Or I think you Newcastle? would, given the, given the way he's conducted himself the last kind of decade of his career. You know, he had a few rough years early on where... It's a bit of a rabble rouser, but after that, developed himself into 
as close, I think, as we've seen as a rugby league personality with all yep. his community work, everything he's doing, especially with the Indigenous, um, everything he does off the field. He's really worked hard to form himself into this great rugby league role model. And I think that's really endeared him to pretty much everyone in rugby league. And I, I think he'd sell it out in a heartbeat. Absolutely. I've so often watched JT play against, you know, the Blues quite often. Yeah. And, and and even what he did against the Knights game, just kept trying, trying and finally getting that win. But, you know, getting those wins and those big matches. And I think once you put it behind him that he's not going to be playing for Queensland anymore <laughs> and he's not going to be playing the game anymore, I think it's really going to be shock everyone watching a Cowboys game without Jonathan Thurston, which has been so long uh, without having him there or, or talked about. And it's they're still obviously going to talk about him. They're going to go through the Joey syndrome where they're trying to, you know, have that replacement of, you know, you know how, finding someone that it's going to do what JT did, but I think uh, if you're a rugby league supporter um, and you, you know you're being uh, true to yourself, you're probably like, yeah, I'd love to go and see him talk because he is going to be one of the greats in in, in the coming years. He already is, mm. uh, so it's going to be. And I was going to put together a list actually of all the players retiring at the end of this season and their achievements, but it, yeah, it would have been a five-hour <laughs> show. I've never seen a retiring class quite like this year. Barry, you've been around not much longer than I am. <laughs> have been, but uh, have you ever seen a year with no, mass? A there's always a few, though. There's always quite a few, but they're doing it better now, as yeah. you said mm. before. They they just do it a lot better. I mean, JT this year, you can imagine what's going to be if Cameron Smith only re-signs for one more year, for example, what's he's going to be like? Yeah. Uh, it'll probably go the whole year as well. So, um, But, you know, for the really good players, I thought um, Chris Heinington, I thought... The Sharks, I, I was really impressed. I was down there for that game and just so impressed with the Sharks fans because he um, basically came to the sideline. I can't remember who he replaced when he came on in the in the first half and came down to the corner where the, the grandstand was and everyone just cheered when he was coming on, which I thought was fantastic. And then cheered off by Fafita and, and off, yeah. Paul Gallen as yeah. well. It was so. a nice touch, yeah. yeah. And um, and it was he the seventh most capped player, most capped yeah. ever? Yeah. So, yeah, it's great to see. It's good to see. And as you said, doing well. I think 2004 was a better year for retirees, <laughs> just quietly. Gordon Tallis, Ryan Girdler, Robbie O'Davis. Very good young. point. It was, sorry, I don't know why that year in particular sticks out to me, but... Um, I'll have to get under the guys at Rugby League <laughs> Digest. Rugby League Digest and get them started on their 2004 Hall of Fame class. Now, we better talk about, just as a bit of reflective for the night season, uh, because obviously no more games for this year. We're looking to 2019 mm. now. Liam, I know you've written four books of notes there. Yes. But, uh, but <laughs> who, for you, who stood up this year? Now, let's just put a blanket. Uh, blanket. <coughs> the Pong was everywhere. He's on everyone's top of the list for the best buy, best player of the season. Like he... He really just re like he sparked everyone's imagination of uh, you know having a Newcastle player really dominating again in the NRL. Um, you know, not since that. Not you know, everyone's going to say Joey. You so know, we're we having a no pong zone. Well, oh, he'll be discussed. No I feel like if we talk about any anything that's uh, and we don't mention him, we will feel like we're doing him a you know uh, a disservice. But mm. I feel like if we just well, you can save time and just <laughs> we're going to save the pong. Yeah, yeah, fantastic now and well, now and not mention him now. Yeah, that's a, well, perfect. That's, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> thanks for joining us. That's, that's for the wrap-up. We've mentioned Kalen Pong, I know. Uh, so, Liam, who stood up for you, uh, assuming that we've all mentioned Kalen For Pong? me, the biggest one was uh, Aiden Guerra. He played every game this year. He made 864 tackles, which was 202 ahead of our second-highest tackler, which was Herman Sase. He was fifth for tackles in the NRL. He had only six errors all year, 37 tackle busts, five line breaks. But his work in the middle was just something we haven't seen in a Knights forward pack in a long while, that hard worker, that toiler, everything he did was quality and everything he did, he did, you know, at 100% effort 
and just really, he gave his all every week, which wasn't the game that I'd expected out of Aiden Guerra. I was expecting him to come in as more a, a hard-running edge second role, but the way he kind of matured into that hard-working lock that just drives the pack was incredible. I think he's gone down as one of our best signings so far this year. Um, I think without him in that team, we probably would have lost quite a few more games than we did. He just gave everything throughout the year. He was incredible. Baz, don't, don't disagree. No, no, no. Yeah, to- I, totally agree. It's he was excellent. It's, he's, he's the type of bloke, too, that he looks like he's buggered after five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> it's just his mannerism, the way he gets walks around. He looks like he's you know, struggling big time. But as you say, he played every game as hard as anyone else. Um, he dropped that ball over the line against someone. That would be one of those mm, six errors yeah. he made that I can think of. But, um, yeah, had a fantastic year. Yeah. Was that the Roosters that he talked about? No, it was recently. Uh, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I drank it out of my memory. <laughs> we have to do with the losses. <laughs> uh, for me, it would probably... Uh, look, it's someone that I didn't think would do anything I, I uh, was it was Chris Hyington. I thought mm. uh, I thought when we signed him, uh, I thought it was going to be... You know, seeing like uh, Anthony Tupu last, last season and just seeing him come and play four games and not be... That was last season? Yeah. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was thinking Tupac was about five years ago. <laughs> no, no, it was last season. Only playing four games, uh, yeah. carrying injuries, looked just did not looking like the player that we remembered him. But Chris Hyington almost finished the uh, finish, like he played his last season you know, with the Knights. Uh, I thought he would just be in and out playing more reserve grade as almost like, you know, Matt Hilda sort of did as that nurturing role bring bring through towards the end of his career. But he was, uh, he when he came on the field, you could definitely see a lift of effort and every, you know, every run, he was making great stats and he was doing stuff on and off the ball. Uh, and for that, for, for me, you know, lifted my expectations of what he was, uh, what he was capable of at his age. Uh, but still very competitive. I think he managed to try, but only and fell fell short just short of a, a few others as well. So he was, yeah. No, for me, Chris Hyington has to be uh, the the player who stood up this year and another one of our buyers. So one of our new yeah, players, excellent so. buy as well. Was was Baz? Did you have a player that you think uh, stood up? I thought, um, without those two, look, Pierce. I thought Pierce was great, but he didn't play half the season, unfortunately. But he would have made a massive difference because he was, I think, probably one or two games there where he was a bit below his best, but. He was outstanding. Herman SES, I thought, was I, I thought at the start of the year that he was going to be one of the players that would, you know, really lift the Knights, and he did. He played, I think, every game bar one, which was the one he was suspended for. He um, did, yeah. yeah. He did. He only missed. The, he didn't miss a game through injury, and and he was the sort of guy that uh, a lot of lot of weeks didn't train early in the week because he was carrying stuff, but he never missed never missed any games through injury, and and uh, he just needs probably someone maybe a, a hard nut taking the first carry and instead of him having to take the first carry. He and looks... Sorry to interrupt you, right. He seems like a player that just loves his hands on the ball. You yeah. know what I mean? Mm. Like, lots of carries through the game. He's even if under fatigue, he just, you know, he will never be a player that the hands on the hips and standing at the back yeah. of the ruck. He's just always there, sometimes twice in a, in a set. And it, it seems like he's got a huge gas tank. Not a massive um, player in today's prop sort of standards, but. Um, loves, loves bumping blokes off. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And he's, <laughs> got, he's got footwork, got really good footwork, but he just, that first bloke, very rarely does he hit, get tackled by the first bloke. That, has a crack at him. And there were so many games where the Knights forward pack just wasn't in it. And yet Herman was still charging, still crack. going hard, yeah. still making good numbers as well. He ran for uh, 130, 13 metres per game, which is actually, he had That's the average, best yeah. metres of the of the forwards. Yeah. Second in the team uh, behind someone we won't mention. He had <laughs> 2.3 tackle busts a game. He tackled at 92% effectiveness. But one thing he did need to work on is his uh, 
positioning and defense. He was the cause of 15 line breaks. So was just his side-to-side movement. They were getting players through him. Is that Spiegelman? Is that, is that's that from Spiegelman, oh, of course. Okay. Yeah, all our stats, of course, from uh, Josh, Josh Spiegelman. Spiegelman yeah. But yeah, Herman, there was a few games there where the Knights forwards weren't following him, but he was still you know, working, doing all that. And I think the signing of Tim Glasby, he's that, he's kind of that second hit-up prop yeah. where you have after... I don't know. Yeah, I've lost my train of thought. After the first one, it comes yeah, the second. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. But I think it, I think they'll partner up well. I feel like they both offer something very different in the front row stocks. Mm. Now, it uh, comes to a time that we talk about uh, an area that we don't like to talk about, and this is the and rather than the players that stood up, it's the players that remained seated. Uh, they didn't mm. they didn't quite let us down uh, in most cases, but in some cases they did, um, and it has to be spoken about in in a in a time that uh, you know we didn't make the finals, we lost a lot of games towards the back end of the season. There, so Liam, who was the player that Remain seated for you. This is a disappointing one for me. I didn't think Denny Levi had his best season. Mm. Now, he was, you know, he was the incumbent Kiwis hooker when we started the season. Slade Griffin came to the club. He was playing second fiddle to Slade. I thought he was doing well when he was playing second fiddle to, to Slade Griffin, but then Griffin got the knee injury and we all thought, great, Denny Levi can rise up and become the hooker that he showed glimpses of the last year 2017 yeah but he just didn't really seem to hit that height he didn't seem to you know offer what he did last year there was quite a few errors penalties in his game even when he was going out on a limb having those runs out of dummy half a lot of them didn't working pay through off, yeah. the ruck a lot didn't pay off just knowing the potential and having seen how good he can be i think there's a lot of improvement left in Danny Levi and i think he'll be a bit disappointed that in the back end of the season he didn't really stamp any authority on that number nine jersey. I came out of the season thinking, well, you know, he might be hooking next year, might still be Slade, where I think if he'd played up to his potential, we'd be saying, well, Denny Levi for sure. But yeah, I was, I don't know. Disappointed. You were disappointed. Yeah, disappointed. I think you've been harsh. (laughs) Yeah, it's because I I hold him really highly. Look, yeah, look, I know. It was a difficult season for Mm. him because Slade went so well early. And he had to fight his way in and actually wanted a release at one stage um, that he didn't get, thank goodness, because they mm. needed him at the back end. But he did have some really good games in, when he came in. Oh, uh, he had some at, great games. At the back end. Yeah. But uh, look, I'm with you. He still needs, he's got some discipline areas. He knocked the ball on there at dummy half right on the line against oh. the Dragons. And he gave that, which was, I thought was worse, was the penalty for holding the, the ball in the play, the ball on the fifth tackle about 40 metres out the Dragons scored in the next set they're unforgivable stuff that you just got to get out of your game so that's the sort of stuff he can work on but I think he showed enough and obviously Slade's not going to be there until probably midway through next season you know all going well Um, so he's got to really stand up they are looking at maybe a hooker uh, as far as recruitment goes too because they're going to need probably somebody else Interesting to hear. Mm. Um, for me, it's split over two. Uh, and now these were like one of them in particular. Like I said how Chris Hyington, I thought, uh, was the player that stood up for me. Uh, an older player that we sort of ro- rolled the dice on with, with one year contract. For the other the other side of the coin was uh, was uh, Jacob Lilliman. Uh, the Ox. And the Ox. And I was, you know, looking at his stats last year, they sort of matched Dan Safidis. I think he was averaging close to 140 metres and had a good high work rate. And I, it, like injury just, I think it was his groin that just... Uh, yeah, his that body let him down. Just, mm. just, um, okay. And that you expect it's going to happen eventually. And, uh, and uh, just, you know, we didn't get the best out of him. And it was disappointing to see uh, time and time again when we sort of sort of backed him and then he just couldn't, he couldn't, you know, keep up. Disappointing that, uh, but again, he, he's had such a, 
you know, a tremendous career. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, we, we thought we could squeeze one more year out of him. Only ever going to be one more year, but, um, you know, didn't obviously get the best and we didn't get to see him off either, um, which was disappointing. Jack Cogger as well. Look, he got an opportunity there with Brock Lamb uh, after, I think it was round eight against the Titans. Uh, didn't didn't make a return game back. Um, and look, I think it was more like just maxing out his abilities. Not like a, he didn't seem like a player that could really lead the team around the park. Um, and, you know, went to the, a, lot, a lot of the time went to that favoured right-hand side. But for me, just you, you sort of lost faith in him pretty quickly. Uh, I didn't think he was going to come up with much, um, pull much out of the bag. And, and he played sort of a safe game. Looked like he was reaching capacity playing first grade. He looked like he was sort of he ceiling off uh, playing first grade, uh, which is, you know, it, it's what happens to a lot of players. But unfortunately, in that half position with no Pierce and no Pong and no Watson there, uh, and him filling in different holes that he just, unfortunately, for me, didn't stand up, Baz. What do you think, Cogger? <laughs> yeah, no, I don't disagree. Yeah. Um, he had a couple of good games. Yeah. Um, but he probably... And he's kicking. That was probably the biggest thing about him. He's just, he's just not a strong enough kicker. And uh, that let him down when he was when there was no Pierce. And, and obviously, uh, Watson at 5'8". Well, Watson's not a kicker of the ball either. So everything relied on, on Cogger. And he just hasn't got a strong enough foot. Uh, unfortunately. I think he did show enough, though, when Pierce came back that he has got a bit of potential. Once he's got a dominant half playing with him, I thought the games he played with Pierce were probably his best when we hadn't seen much in the lead-up because he didn't have a complementary player. Once he's got that complementary player and he's playing a very simplified role, he doesn't have to worry about the kicking, he's shown that he, he can play some footy. So He, he did play He did play tough. He played the last mm. yeah. nearly eight weeks with a ruptured um, finger? ligament in his mm. little finger. So yeah. he did play... He did play pretty tough. That's true. Holding and, off and surgery as well, yeah. No doubting his toughness and that sort of stuff. No, not at all. he's tiny. Yeah. He's yeah. just I, I, so for, small. For me, I, the disappointment for me was Brock Lamb. Mm. Um, and people can say what they want, whether he got a fair go or whatever else, but um, he, he dropped his bundle a little bit, Brock, when things didn't go his way early. And they weren't going to go his way early because he knew that once they brought... Um, Connor Watson and Pierce in that he might not get a look in and he started off the bench if you remember and then Watson got injured against the Roosters so he he went outside Pierce and and it didn't work um, and obviously he went back to reserve grade and, and never really did enough in reserve grade to look like getting back in so yeah disappointing for him he's off to the Roosters even though they haven't announced that yet but he is off to the Roosters so hopefully down there you know, with Cronk down there and and a different environment um, we might see the best out of Brock and we might see him back here one day. Who knows? It's yeah. an interesting one, the case of Brock Lamb, because towards the end of last year, you know, he was he was the man. He was the cog in the Knights' back line that got everything going. Remember not, that game not, against... Not Jack the cog. Not the but cog. Yeah, not he was the cog, a cog. Yeah. A cog, yeah. <laughs> but remember that game against Parramatta last year? He was dominant. And then... Yeah. It, found his running game. He found his the, running game. It yeah. feels like it stemmed a bit from... Not something, being the man anymore. Yeah, yeah something no, that yeah. Nathan Brown's talked about a bit is, you know, we're not giving away jerseys anymore. Yeah. He's kind of, it felt like there was a, a, a little bit of entitlement there Correct. to be given the, the red hot go, even though you've got two superstars coming to the side. And that just didn't seem to sit well with him, which I think is worrying for a young player when they're not happy to sit back a bit and learn. Maybe it'll be different with Kronk, but it, it just seemed a bit odd that he didn't take the opportunity to say, well, look, I'm sitting back to third string now. Let Got me just... Work our way back. Yeah, you know, work I mean, my way back in. Do what I he, can. And he had opportunity to. You know, it mm. wasn't like that. It was just Watson and, and Pierce played the whole season, and he was blocked out. 
you know, he had an opportunity to lift and and didn't quite make it. So yeah, I have to agree that it's uh, it was disappointing to see Brock Lamb not uh, being so prominent last year towards the back end and then uh, getting an opportunity this season off the bench. There were talks about like how that was revolutionising again. He was like the new Connor Watson, like you know he was coming off the bench with Pierce and it was injecting something else into the side. I think he might have put a kick in to get the uh, a try over Manly and everyone thought, oh, this is going to be brilliant. Everyone can go home happy and there's going to be no one uh, missing out now. But uh, yeah, just didn't uh, didn't last. What do we think about Josh King? <laughs> this has been a bizarre year when it comes to considering Josh King as an NRL player because I had high hopes when he came into the team last year. He was a local junior. He's worked his way up from working in the mines to playing NRL. Yeah. Showed some signs, but seemed to have a really quiet year this year. He was you know, given plenty of game time off the bench. Didn't really show much improvement till the last few weeks. I think it was uh, around 23. He probably had his best game in the NRL. And it just seemed like such a long lead-in time to show yeah, the improvement there. Yeah, yeah. Baz, what do you think about Josh King? Yeah. The most maligned player in the club. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking as well, because you hear people railing against him. And yeah, and I think he was reading a fair bit of, of it as well, so that probably affected him a little bit. Look, mm. he's, a, he's a guy, he's a young bloke that, that was still working what, 12 months ago? Or yeah, yeah. More than 12 months ago, 18 months ago, still working. So he wasn't full-time. He's full-time now, obviously. He's still only a young guy uh, for a front rower. He's played, I think, 30-something NRL games when he probably should have played five or six. That's that's the difference. And, look, I, I don't know whether he's going to make it, Josh. He's a great kid. He's a smart kid. He's probably one of the smartest, not players, but one of the smartest in there, as yeah. in outside of footy. Um, but whether he's got the ability to make it, I don't know, but people need to give him a little bit more time because uh, I think it's a bit early to, to be uh, riding his death now. I thought you were going to say he's one of the smartest of the props, Barry. That's not saying much. No, no he's <laughs> one of the actual smartest in, of the players. Uh, all right. Just Very interesting. So, yeah, I, there's on, potential there. Honourable mention to Nick Meany as well. I'm very sorry to see Nick Meany go. There was lots of talks mm. about him right through the season mm. to say that you know he really should get a run. And then when he finally did, he, he looked like he, you know, he stepped up. He, he injected himself well. He showed that he's got... Uh, he had some soft hands, he, a good running game, uh, put himself in the right position a lot of the time. Still showed that he's a very young fullback and, he, you know, he, um, and obviously compared to someone, another young fullback of ours who we can't mention after we are <laughs> <laughs> from the initial uh, lead into this. But, uh, but you know, I'll, I'll be really sad to see Nick Meany go, but I hope that he plays some great football at, uh, at the Bulldogs. And oh, he's got a lot of good footy ahead of him, Nick Meany, I think. And it'll be interesting to see how they fit him in with Will Hopawati revolution well not revolutionizing sorry revolutionizing. evolving as a fullback he's turned into a very very good fullback so whether he moves back into the centers and for to play fullback you know remains to be seen but yeah it's a shame to be it's losing the same with jack cogger actually because lewis has come on the scene they got um the old bloke coming back next year as well so um there's no guarantee jack's gonna mm. slot straight in there either which is probably what he thought he was going to do when he signed there so we'll wait and see what happens there isn't as it well. strange the business of uh NRL signings and player movements. Well, speaking How of does it work? three players for next season that we've got, obviously, Ramian, uh, the, the prop that you, you mentioned Tim before. Glasby, Tim Glasby, undefeated origin. And uh, Edric Lee as well. Now, with those three players, assuming they're playing first grade, assuming people stay fit, let's assume that you know we lose uh, a regular amount of players, but we can keep the main ones on the field. Where do you see us finishing next year? Too early to say. Mm. Too early to say. Yeah, that's, that's probably... A, that's <laughs> there's seven spots to fill, so it, it depends on who they fill them with as to where they're going. But, it, but if... For argument's sake, they don't fill them with anyone. They will, but uh, who they've got now. If you keep Pierce and Ponger on the field, uh, Watson, throw in Ramian um, and Glasby, 
into that mix, um, you know, they've got to be looking at seventh or eighth in around there, I would have thought. They'd be, if they're not punching towards the top eight next year, uh, given a bit of luck with injuries, then there's something wrong. Liam, would you... Uh, yeah, I'm going to agree with Barry You'll there. say top two, just because you... No. <laughs> I'm being very realistic these days, Nag. You remember the start of the season, we, we said, did let's s- be realistic. Yeah, which I think it'll be a good time to discuss... Uh, how we predicted the season would end, and oh, I think yeah, we yeah. pretty much agreed that we the Knights would finish somewhere between ninth and twelfth. We said tenth, I think. We did, I think yeah. you think we said around tenth, yeah. but I think what people are forgetting is how much of an improvement that is. Yeah, it's on huge. the last, like watching Knights fans talk about it, there, you know, there's still people say, "Oh, sack Brownie, get rid of this guy, get rid of that guy." We've won more games this year than we have in the previous two seasons. We haven't come last this year. I think that's a huge improvement, yeah. and given the injuries that we've had to finish in and around that kind of battle for the eighth spot, even though we lost a few towards the end of the year to be forced out of that maelstrom. I think I think we did really well. The games that we won, majority of them, except for Parramatta um, down there, was, you know, by a fine margin. A lot of those games we wouldn't have won last mm. year. Um, so, you know, to get the just enough wins to keep us off the bottom, keep us competitive. Uh, and, you know, Parramatta, if you looked at their squad at the beginning of the season and to say that they're only going to win five games or six games, something like that. <laughs> just ridiculous to think that they that they would fall to they capitulate to that point that they couldn't get anything working. Um, so it's not all squatted, you know, it's making that work as well. And I think that's it's good that what we did, we better get to your sack, Liam, because we're... <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll just quickly touch on real quickly. I think what Knights fans also need to remember, because when we look back, we're not going to remember all the injuries, but how effective we were. Barry, you wrote a few, uh, few weeks ago, just before round 23, that six of our recruits up until that point had missed a total of 46 games. Pierce Watson and Ponga had only played 176 minutes together out of a possible 1,760 minutes mm. in the opening 22 rounds. Ross was out for nine games. Jacob Safidi, 16 games this season. Tao Mogum is seven. It's it's a laundry list that I think will get forgotten. Um, and people just say, well, we finished 11th. That's not very good. Finishing 11th, I think, with the, the problems that the Knights have had in the injury room is quite an achievement. And I don't know if I'd call this season a success, but... It's an improvement, Nagy. It's success definitely an improvement. Im- success is such a loaded word. You know? <laughs> what does success really mean? Does it mean you win the comp? For us, I think it just means we didn't come last. There's five teams <laughs> below us that, you yeah. know, that are looking at how they can now get above us. You know what I mean? And that's something that we haven't had for years. Liam, mm. we better open your sack because it's getting rubber. <laughs> Big sack, and it's you know we got we got sack. dinner after this, Liam. We got dinner at uh, at the Commonwealth Hotel, of course. That's so. where the Knights should have had their Mad Monday. It's an excellent venue, very discreet. Yeah, it's very like, discreet venue. Yeah, but there's no there's no blacked out windows no. at the Commonwealth Hotel. It's very you know it's very airy. A and family you can It's a family venue. Mm. You go down there with your friends, and it's welcoming, and the beer's cold, and the food's hot. And have you ever been to the the Commonwealth Hotel I recently? Have, yeah, it's <laughs> it's not a, recently, but I have been. There. Oh, it's I'll an excellent venue. Times. You should get back there because it's a great pub, Liam. Mm. That sack of yours. Now the sack. First question, oh, it's more of a statement from Craig Arms. Craig says, watching the team grow from three spoons in a row to the third four, uh, he went to Penrith Stadium for his first away win. It's one out of ten for Craig so far. It was a highlight. He saw some new confidence, maturity, and our new signings for next season is what he's looking forward to, onwards and upwards. 
Yeah, no, I'll have to agree with him because he didn't really post a question there. But thanks for getting involved. That was mostly right? statements this <laughs> week, like actually. Yeah, statements. mostly statements. So but no, no, we'll but respond with a. Yeah, look, obviously it's what we just spoke about, but it's it's you know it's exciting to see when they can get it together and work and you know get off to start the game well and lead at halftime. It felt like we were you know we were in a lot, a lot of those games there, and um, and I think it was to the credit of people like Pierce coming back with his kicking game against Penrith that we showed how much. Uh, with that game manager there, um, you know what we what we can achieve and sort of outplay the other side. You know what I mean? So often we've been sort of had our back up against the wall. I think for for a long time now and just sort of hoping for a, a bit of a game break. But to have a have someone like Pierce there actually working the other team down and grinding them down and frustrating them out of the win uh, is uh, what we I feel like we did with Penrith. Would you agree, Baz? I agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Now, Gavin Morton, speaking of Penrith, man from the hills himself. <laughs> Now, this is a, an interesting one from Gavin. After the excitement of winning five of the first ten games and then winning only four for the rest of the season was a bit of a bummer, would we be happy with Brownie delivering a similarly underwhelming end to the season next year? Barry? Well, no. Yeah, I don't know why ba- Gavin asked that, but <laughs> well, I wanted to use it to talk about. As we did have a flying start of the season, there was rocky, you know, two-thirds of the the rest of the season, but... Well, the injuries were the killer. Yeah, got to look at what you have available and i think at the beginning of the season you sort of put all your cards on the table and go these are all the these are the players that we got so when players do get injured you know what stocks are there and it's so rare it's probably except lewis at canterbury that you sort of uncover this great player this great first grader from from the the stocks of reserve grade that actually plays on and um so i think you know assuming that all our you know if you if you can't get a squad to play like Parramatta. If you can't get the the Corey Normans to be firing most weeks, and um, you know, but going out and buying uh, Moses, and you know, he, him just being a bit of a flash in the pan, it just seems, or you know, getting frustrated with these other teammates. It's so if 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 we have all the everyone on the park and we still can't get the wins, then it's a problem. Yeah, that, depth was always going to be the issue, wasn't it? Uh, there's no risk about that, and mm. it's and depending on who they bring in from now on, uh, could be a, still could be an issue next year if we get more injuries, but. You just hope that um, the seven or eight players they're going to bring in now will fix that drama. When they, I've got to ask you, Baz. When when Brandy came out recently and said, "No, we've got to have a look at our how we manage our injuries from uh, you know, well, like our injury plan." I think he might have called it. Uh, is there much you could do about it, or is it this? We got to look at more. Is that more of a recruitment look with the scene? Like we got to have deeper stocks in, oh, in look, key I, areas. I think it depends what the injury is. If if they're you know if they're contact injuries, well, there's not a lot you can do. But if they're groins and stuff like that well these days you know they, they're saying that teams shouldn't have players that are suffering groin injuries and but um so they, they'll have a look at it um because that kind of came up with the uh the jack bird to brisbane scenario where they got him up to brisbane well, assessed him and he was injured, broken yeah. and the, yeah. is there a, is there anything in place that the clubs need to tell their future club that oh this guy's carrying an injury or he has a history of this kind of thing well before you sign them you're supposed to give them a medical which you know someone like Trent Hodkinson didn't have before he signed here, for mm. example. Um, so you're supposed to put them through a, a medical, and then you make a decision on on what you think. Obviously, they signed two guys that had already had three knee reconstructions. So you'll f- find now that they won't sign anyone that's had two. Um, oh, right. yeah, oh, which God. is why Jordan Kahu, for example, is a you know a good player of centre, played on the wing, a goal kicker would be a perfect signing for him. But he's already had um, three knee reconstructions, so they're not going to touch him. Um, hmm. And they won't make that mistake again because they've already been burnt. So they're the sort of things you, you look at, I guess. 
Yeah, knees haven't been uh, great for us. We've offered to donate both our knees. <laughs> Four knees we were they willing to give no. up. We said we'll, said we'll stay with two rigid legs to, for the benefit of the Knights. <laughs> Liam, our final question for the final season. Final question. And again, it's a statement. Adam Clements <laughs> says, first match of the year had to be the highlight. It was brilliant. That golden point win over Manly. Excitement and build up. And then just sneaking the result in in Golden Point was a brilliant crescendo on months of hype. I included that one because I just think that's a beautiful way to speak about it. <laughs> was there a particular game that stood out for you, Baz? Oh, that was fantastic. That was a great atmosphere. But but I guess what that did was raise the expectation. They won the next game as well. So you won your first two and then all of a sudden there's a bit of expect- expectation around the team and then the injuries hit. And Look, I thought um, Penrith, the Penrith win, I thought that was outstanding down there. Um, mainly because it, there was still that nagging suspicion that if a few teams below the Knights won, that they, the Knights stood, still could finish with the wooden spoon. So that was a little bit of a worry. And to go down there when they had so much at stake, and uh, I thought that was, that was probably a great win. It was one of those gutsy wins we don't see often out of the Knights either. I liked the Brisbane win. I yeah, got there for the second yeah, half that of that win. That was a good one. That was a beauty. Manly down there was a good win too without yeah, Pierce. Without yeah, Pierce with, first. with Cogger there because they didn't play that well, but they, they toughed it out. And, and obviously there was the Parramatta you know, game, which was the only game during the year, I guess, where the coach could throw the chip, uh, the, uh, his board down at... <laughs> You know, and just relax. Get, yeah, 20 minutes <laughs> in the first half and, and not worry about the Must rest have been like it. a holiday for Brownie. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, just zoned it, out. The was only one. Yeah. <laughs> now, we said we're not going to talk about Kalen Ponga, but I'm going to go over his season oh. stats very quickly. 108 tackle bus, third in the NRL, six tries, 14 try assists, second in the team, 112 metres per game. He was third in the team, 14 line breaks. He was second in the team. I just couldn't not talk about him. He's a I'm superstar. sorry, Nagy. He's a dead set superstar. But that's all I'll say. Uh, hopefully we can hold on to him. Hopefully he doesn't you know, suffer too many injuries. Mm. Uh, he's, he's one of those players that puts himself in those spots where he could get injured because he does you know, attack the line a lot, Beat, beats the first man and... So often we see people coming down at the back of the ankles and mm. I'm fearing for his ankles already, this 20-year-old fullback of ours. but uh, Double-page spread in the Newcastle Herald on Saturday, guys. Oh, well, there you go. On Kalen Ponga and his family. Excellent. Excellent to see. Yeah, so, good, uh, good. There's one for the listeners. Nice. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And make sure you check out uh, Tui's News on Correct. Saturdays. Uh, big news. A big. There'll be some signing news in there, actually. I might even reveal that uh, <laughs> halfback that I was talking about. That <gasps> there you go, oh. guys. So if you, if you, we'll should be out on Wednesday, so please make sure they'll be out on Saturday. Actually, and I might even reveal on Saturday who the front rower is that will be up probably later in the week to maybe oh, this is gonna indulge be the best day in some butter it's chicken. G- <laughs> 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 it's going to be interesting to see you. We can't wait to read to his news. We love it every week. Thank you very much for joining us, Baz. It's been an absolute pleasure. Liam, it's been a pleasure joining with you every week to sort of hammer on about the same team that we happen to really like. Thank you all the Giusters out there for uh, for tuning in. Uh, if any fans out there have something that Nagy and I can do over do the next four or five yeah, months, what, what, what happens? We just we sit well, in here, still do the same thing, but we don't record anything. The lights are <laughs> off. <laughs> see, we don't actually get power to this room five months of the year, so we just kind of sit and it's going to be upsetting. Obviously, yeah, thank you for all the support through the season, guys, and we'll definitely be around next year. It's been an absolute pleasure, and I thought we'd finish with a special song. Hopefully it comes on. <laughs> yeah, we have had the time of our life, Nagy. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Thank you. Oh. Oh. Wow.